Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. There is a difference between what is good and what is bad. And we can know that difference and we should strive to be good. And so we should strive to vote people in who are not ideologically captured, but are earnestly seeking and desiring to find truth. Once they start establishing a precedent where I want to pick and choose the ideologies that the people of my state can observe and learn, when does it stop? And that's one of the biggest things for me when establishing laws and when establishing certain type of quotas for how people should be is the precedent it will set potentially moving forward. Do you want a great website like this? This is my podcast website where I direct the audience to come to watch the content, listen to the content, read the blogs, and much, much more. If you want to have your own customizable podcast website, then join my affiliate link in my description to sign up for something called PodPage, and they can help you customize an easy podcast website for your personal podcast. Sign up to get a discount now. Again, use the link in my description to join PodPage now. Are you enjoying today's podcast episode? I really hope you do. And I really hope you enjoy the fact that I have an amazing guest talking with me and having this great discussion. If you, as an individual, personally have your own podcast, and maybe you want to have great guests on your podcast as well, well, I got a deal for you. In my description, there is a link to something called Podmatch. Make sure to join that link through my affiliate link so you can sign up to get matched up with other podcast hosts and podcast guests so you make sure you are never missing an episode without a productive guest to have an amazing conversation with. Podmatch is similar to any other kind of matching site for the most part, and it's super easy you. Just $6 a month and you can have a guest for each and every podcast episode that is tailored to your specific topic. So again, join the link in my description and join Podmatch now. Ladies and gentlemen, how's it going? We are back. As you can see that I have rebranded, retooled, upgraded a lot of the things that I'm doing on the podcast. And that includes with, you know, the new cover art and kind of other new stuff that's going on. In addition to that, I'm also planning to change the upload schedule. Um, Relatively soon, I'll start uploading twice a week in terms of podcast episodes every Monday and ideally every Thursday. Um, episodes will drop coming soon and, you know, just more content for the people, of course. And also coming, as you guys can tell, I have a person here with me. Uh, in addition to guests that come on who contact me and want to come on to that show or I want them to come on the show because I deem them interesting, I'll try to have co-hosts moving forward. That's a new experiment I'm going to try who can offer, you know, an interesting, maybe different perspective than myself. And the caveat with this, the reason why I'm doing this is because all of you know that I ride for the middle for the most part. I try to use my own brain to kind of coincide my different beliefs and different positions. But I wanted someone who leans more right and I wanted someone who leans more left to come on the show consistently and also provide their perspective on these different issues, too. And, you know, that nuance is going to be very important. So uh, today I have one person of the potential co-hosts I'll have moving forward, and his name is Jonathan uh 
Do you want do you want me to pronounce it as coots or cuts? It is coots. It is coots. coots. Okay, that's what I assume. So I have here Jonathan Coots, um, and I'm gonna allow him to introduce himself. Well, hi folks. Um, as you said, my name is Jonathan. I I certainly lean a little bit more on the conservative side. Um, I have a podcast as well on the side, but I try to uh, stray away from politics on that one. So I'm excited to join Riddell on this venture of his. Um, and I am very interested in politics, so it's not like I am unaware of politics. But uh, I talk mostly on my own podcast about philosophy and history and all that old stuff. Um, and I think that really informs uh, the way I view politics in a very different way, which is hopefully a unique perspective that I can uh, give to all of you. All right. Excellent. And what is your uh, podcast called? Uh, so my podcast is called uh, The Classic Life, and it is all about how one can lead and revive that classic life. All right. Excellent. So if you are interested in those topics that stray away from politi politics to an extent, make sure to go check out his content, obviously. Uh, so with that said, we're going to start diving in today's episode of discussion. And before we do that, per usual, I'm going to drop a review uh, person, you drop a review on Apple podcast or any other different platform, you drop a comment that you want to be read on my podcast and I'll read it out. Um, you know, rated five stars, obviously four stars is okay, but preferably five stars. And this is from Jenny of lovely. They said, interesting perspective on divisive issues, good explanations for big topics. Riddell is a great host and explainer. Appreciate it. That is what I try to do. And and each and every one of the discussions that I that I have, of course. So appreciate you, of course. Again, drop a review and you can get shouted out to a future episode. So what you need to know, kind of a current event that people should be up to speed about, is I'm not going to go into depth because I don't want to, uh, because I inherently I don't care that much about him as a person. But Donald Tr Trump, Donald Trump, Mr. Trump. Um, is facing potential criminal charges because of, you know, we, we all know about, you know, what he did with the porn star, obviously. But this is not that. This is more so involving classified documents at his home and, you know, the potential legitimacy of having them there. And there's a whole lot going into it. So this could either kind of all be mm -hmm. thrown away because I've heard different arguments on, Oh, it's not a big deal. Look at, you know, I hear see people say, okay, compare this to Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 blah. Um, regardless, he had classified documents. He had no interest in giving them up. So that doesn't bode well as of right now. And they released, I think they released some type of manuscript of his conversation with someone. I forget which person this conversation was with. And it was pretty damning. So you know, we're going to see what happens to Trump. Will he actually run for presidency with this looming over his head? I don't know. Maybe this makes it easier for DeSantis. Who knows? We'll see. Of I don't course. think it does. You don't? Why? I don't. Um, because it, it seems I remember I recall from, I think, his campaign during 2020, where he remarked that uh, I could shoot someone in the center of the uh, center of Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose a voter. For some reason, in this escalated climate of partisanship that we have, uh, every time the left intends to or attempts to 
indict or uh, cause problems with Trump, these far right um, radicals and, and just people on the right in general, I wouldn't even call them radicals, um, just conservatives in general tend to like that more because they feel as if, well, if the left doesn't like this person, then we automatically should like them, which obviously is not rational nor reasonable. Um, but I think it is a fact. So I think the more they attack him, the more he actually looks good to the people who are going to vote for Trump. Because the people who are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. The people who are going to vote for DeSantis will vote for DeSantis. And at this point, I think with this hyper-partisanship that we have, the more people uh, attack Trump, the more certain people will like him. Yeah, I mean, you do have a point there. I've seen it all the time that these Trumpers absolutely love the guy uh regardless at this point regardless of what he does it's you know mm -hmm. they kind of stem it up even if the the evidence is in front of you they kind of stem it up for um the left trying to frame him in a bad light and they have done that to to mm -hmm. an extent but they think it's a big old conspiracy against trump at the end of the day so you know like you said it's relatively yeah. irrational um I'm very curious to see how this presidential election is going to go. I mean, the Republican Party is, I mean, it's down to two people, it seems. It's DeSantis or Trump. As for yep. the left, I'm not really sure. Joe Biden, he says he wants to reelect. He might win his uh, the primary for himself, but, it'll you be, know. It'll, we'll I mean, I hate to, I hate to bash our, our, our president. You know, I try to, even though I, I am conservative, I still try to respect the office and whatnot and try not to demean the poor man but i don't know how he could run the government i don't know how he could i mean he's obviously not campaigning he's announced his campaign but he's not campaigning um it's just i i actually feel bad for him at this point because he has no idea what's going on yeah i mean I, I will say that in terms of um what how he performed i think there's you know an argument to be made that he actually didn't do a terrible job by any means but i do th i mean at the end of the day the man is old like he's extremely old yeah. to, to think that he'll be able to run four more years at a like you know sane consistent basis yeah it is pushing it i don't think we should have a leader that is like knocking on you know sorry death's to say door. death's door yeah so it's yeah. like probably should get someone younger but as of right now on the left i don't even know who that person is i don't I, see any decent candidates on the left right now yeah i the only one that i think is a very potentially good candidate is uh robert kennedy jr but i don't think the the far wings of the left will will go for him because he's too uh, anti-vaccine yeah very anti-vaccine yeah i don't know about that either um i initially thought because of how much how anti-vaccine he is and all the conspiracy theories i i hear from him i initially thought he was on the right but he wanted to run for the democratic nominee i'm like interesting i don't know how that's gonna go but we'll, we'll see yeah. we'll see um but obviously he has the lineage being a Kennedy, so we'll see how that kind of works out. But um, all right, so let's dive into the topic at hand. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the the legitimacy of content moderation. And, and what I mean by this is when it comes to certain things, and we're going to make a delineation between like objectively 
like morally bad content that shouldn't be aired out for for public use versus politically ide ideological content that is potentially mo banned or moderated due to more political and ideological purposes um so that would include like a book ban and as of right now that would also include social media content ban and this is stuff that needs to be brought up for good reason because it is something that a lot of states are actually thinking about. Um, as of recently, Illinois decided to ban book bans, so they're going in the opposite direction. Um, by that, they banned the idea of, they banned any kind of library trying to ban books. And the way they do this is if the libraries do not put a policy in their constitution indicating that you, that indicating that they can't ban books for their public library, then if they don't do that, then they won't be getting a certain status and, you know, all the benefits of the government. I forgot the exact verbatim, but, you know, obviously that's important stuff you would need to have in terms of your legitimacy as a public library. So, you know, they did this mostly, mostly it seems for like LGBTQ books. And we could talk about that, of course, but um, regardless, they want to make sure that no books should be able to be banned. And then we have places like Texas who want to potentially ban specific social media content that is more ideological, uh, ideologically driven. And this also tends to be uh, being around LGBTQ content. But again, this is more of an ideological situation. So this is something that is definitely happening. And we're trying to figure out should they even have the right to do this in the first place? So um, what, do you, what do you think about uh, the banning or the, the content moderation from these state governments? You know, I kind of lean more towards uh, the concept that you can ban things because certain things, like you pointed out, certain things certainly um, deserve to be banned. You know, when you're trying to put uh, essentially child porn in libraries in in books or in bookstores and things like that designed for kids uh i don't think that's a good thing and i think they have every right to ban those um the problem is and, and well i should preface it with this the reason it's okay to do that is because inherently i do believe that we can and are capable of discerning right from wrong um and when we can figure out what is actually right to do, then we can figure out what is wrong to do more precisely. One of the things that we have in our nation, uh, one of the things we are good at is finding things that are wrong to do. It is wrong to do this. It is wrong to do that. But we don't start first with what is right to do. This is what I believe. And because we don't know what is right to do inherently, we've kind of lost that in the postmodern world that we live in um people are now unable to actually face the what is correct to do with um what is wrong to do and vice versa so we're looking at things that are wrong to do but we haven't lined it up with what's right to do so what can what is wrong to do can be anything that's a much lesser level of discernment than knowing what is right to do and so i believe that we can't inherently there is an objectionable or an objective good and when we can find out what that is it is appropriate to ban certain things based on that higher model and so that's a little bit of a, a tirade but i do think banning certain things is certainly good and 
politics uh, as a as a whole as like a category is meant to be something that is wielded by the public i mean obviously we are a self-governing public a republic that's kind of what the founders set for us um but the state quote unquote i think can be based in good things and when it is based in good things we can know what the bad things are and so when we see something like child porn put in school libraries we should certainly ban those when we find um you know i think very debauched books like there's lots of books out there that um not even like pornography but just books that probably shouldn't be around because they're scandalizing um i think we should get rid of those too and i don't think that uh anything should go uh certainly not i don't think so i think to a certain extent yeah i think books can be banned i think books should be banned if they're scandalizing um and we have a lot of scandalizing books out there. So you brought up a lot of interesting things. And I want to preface this by saying that um, I, I also agree that we shouldn't have a system where it allows everything to go. Right. Um, I've said this before, probably in my last episode, which actually was about like social media laws and their legitimacy, especially from the right. Um, and the the idea that you know, you can have a, you know, free space to say and do whatever you want. It is not, it doesn't create any type of order. Matter of fact, it just creates like anarchy and nastiness. We see that in like, you know, the initial, well, the implementation of something like kick, for example, and we just have a bunch of people screaming racial slurs, pretending to be Nazis. Like it's like, you're not interesting. Can I give something interesting on kick? Go for it. So um, I worked for about a year and a half at a research lab on my college campus, and we studied police officers that commit crimes. It's the only uh, national-level police crime database. It is called the Henry A. Wallace Police Crime Database. If you want to look it up so you know I'm not lying to you. Uh, but we got – and I was I was responsible for reading and vetting all the cases to make sure that they met our inclusion criteria for the study. And overwhelmingly, police officers that uh, were arrested for child porn used kick. So hundreds and hundreds of police officers in that database used kick to get child porn. The streaming service? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I don't even know how that works. That's that's interesting. I thought kick was pretty new. Is it? Has it been around for a while? Wait, hang on. Um, maybe I'm oh, you're thinking else. of. Okay, like you're thinking of service, the right? the texting service. Yeah, that's what you're. Te- I remember the texting service. So yeah, um, it's called Kick, right? I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. So okay, is there so something just, else called Kick now as well? Yeah. Okay. So to distinguish like these two Twitch, platforms, right? exactly. So back in the day, there was this texting service, kind of similar to, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I guess yeah. similar to Discord in a way. Um, it's a text. It's similar to WhatsApp. That's a better better uh, yeah. comparison. It's very similar to WhatsApp. You create an account and you can message people. Now, I actually did use Kick when I was extremely young, and hindsight twenty twenty, a lot of very bad things happen on Kick. Now, I'm just saying. I, I'll be completely honest. Um, so. Kick was kind of free reign, and you encounter a lot of different people. That's the only thing I'll say about that. So I'm not surprised that a lot of these 
if they use kick to do these nasty things actually now that you bring this up um the 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 platform that I'm talking about is Kick the the new streaming service Kick K I C K dot com. Okay, um, I apologize then. I do no 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 worries because that but that was an interesting bit of information that I, I didn't realize and it brought up you know the old I'm sure that kind of rings some people's ears when they heard oh I remember Kick I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, kick.com is the streaming service, kind of the challenger to Twitch as of right now. And they kind of incentivize, they're doing a lot of interesting stuff right now. I mean, they, they tried, they're trying to kind of establish an hourly wage and all this stuff. But the yeah. initial premise on why it was so great is, is because they had much more lax content moderation in comparison okay. to Twitch. You know, now that you say that, I have a friend that streams on kick, uh, and he was telling me about it. They pay a lot higher too, don't they? Or at least they did initially. They yes, they they take a less of a percentage in terms less of like okay, like commission is in a not commission but like gotcha. stream Feed. income, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people want to go to Kick for 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 good reasons, but they have to continuously work on their content moderation until it's not filled with just weirdos who want to be racist or homophobic and all that stuff. Um, but the Another thing that I want to add is, even though I think that content moderation should be there, I think we should definitely establish like the lines, right? So the the Absolutely. first thing I want to do right now is establishing what is the objectively bad material that society as a whole, America as a whole, can agree that we want we don't want people to see, right? So <laughs> one example I would say is you know you don't want any person and this is i also eventually want to dive into the difference between age groups and demographic and what they should or should not be saying too but on all groups we probably don't want to see both in books or social media like you said explicit child porn like objectively you see this and you can honestly say yeah this is child pornography um so that's something, obviously, we don't want to see people to see, like, mutilation or torture, you know, things on uh, on these different books or social media, um, you know, and anything else that you, that you have? Um, you know, I'm, I would say those are the, the main ones. Like, so I said at the beginning, people don't really know what scandalizing really means anymore. Um, because we've become uh, kind of desensitized to a lot of things. But I would say like scandalizing material, which is something that causes you to go astray, is what scandalizing really means as its root word. Um, so when it says like, in, in, for instance, in the Bible, like thou shalt not, don't scandalize little children. It's like don't lead them astray. Don't cause them to stumble. And so when we see things that causes us to stumble in some way, um, like so – I'll use explicitly religious symbology at this time because it explains the point the best, right? When someone sins, that's technically it's an archery term, okay? So when you sin, it's when you miss the mark, okay? So when you're shooting for a target, um, and this is what the Bible intends when it says that, when you're shooting at a target and you miss the target, that's what a sin is. It's it, it, and In tournaments and stuff, when they're having archery competitions, they would say sin if you missed the mark. And so when it says don't scandalize the kids, don't cause them to stumble, don't cause them to sin. It's when you have an objective and you see something, you observe something, you behold something that causes you to stumble and miss your mark. So when you're gaining 
for abstinence when you're gaining and something when you're gaining for chastity that's what you're attaining and striving for if you were to stumble and miss because you saw something i think we should keep that from people i think we should make sure that nothing is going to cause people to stumble and so i think one of the most obvious examples of that would be pornography in general but specifically child pornography is where i think we should start especially keeping that away from the hands of kids yeah, so I mean, we could definitely agree to there. Um, I, I want to dive into the, to to an, into that a little bit more, but I mean, we every person in whatever spectrum probably can agree, unless they're a psychopath, that these two things that we mention are objectively things that we do not want to showcase the public. If you want to bring anything else, then I feel like anything else is worth debating for good reason, obviously. Sure, and. That's why when people see material, they will immediately try to equate it to one of those two things. Because the moment you bring up one of those two things, we automatically know that it ha will have a negative or bad connotation. And nobody mm -hmm. wants to agree to those things if they quantify those things. Now, a different argument can be made what makes these types of material. And that's, sure. you know, I would be willing to go into that case by case. But I think establishing at the very least... Those two things as things that we don't want people to see is important. So with that said, after we established that, and that's why I kind of hope that the uh, Illinois book ban or ban on book ban law does establish a means to say, okay, but this material, we don't want to ban books based on ideology, but in terms of this material, we obviously will have bans. We're not going to have child pornography. We're not going to have, you know, people mutilating themselves or torturing themselves or talking about torture or any of that stuff yeah. on our platform. So as uh, hopefully Illinois kind of establishes that precedent, I feel like sometimes, you know, it's for a lot of these politicians and a lot of these people into politics, it's either black or white for some reason. But it should never be that way. You know, most have nuance. Most have a gray area that you can kind of dive into. Um, so with that said, now I do want to establish that different material and different content should be allowed to should be allowed and not be allowed to be broadcast to specific demographics. So what I mean by that, I think the easiest way to do this is through age groups. So. Obviously, we got your elementary, we got your middle school, high school, and then college, right? So, in your opinion, I think we're going to go top down because I think once we get to like children, I think that's we'll have a little bit of a back and forth regarding that. So, in terms of college students, college students and adults, basically all adults, right? Everybody mm -hmm. above 18. Is there any content other than the two things we mentioned? Like, we just got to leave that out. We're that's not allowed on the overall overall board. Is there any content do you think any adult shouldn't be allowed to see or read or see on their social media that a state can legislate? Not, so, not if they want to ban it themselves. Who cares? Sure. Um. See, I have an interesting perspective on this because, like I was saying, I think there's a like objective goods that can be found that can be measured. And so I would say there's certain things that people just shouldn't see in general, like porn in general, um, this very grotesque violence. I don't think it, if it's not good for kids, I don't understand why at some point it would then be okay 
for adults. If it's bad, it's bad is the perspective that I take, right? So the the problem is because of our current political climate, because of the current like existence of our state, I don't necessarily trust them to do that. I don't trust them to be objective about it and to find that and make sure because if we see this over and over again, rewording of definitions to include more things, to um, make it a little bit more vague. And so if we were to trust that to the state, I don't trust that they would execute that with diligence and with excellence. Um, so at this certain point, I would say, no, I don't think it is proper at this point in time to allow the state to ban things for adults. I think there should be plenty of things that are banned. And I'm hoping and I hope that our government gets to a place where I would trust them to do that. Because like I said, I think there are certain things that should be banned for adults because if it's bad for kids, I think there's obviously some sort of nuance there and level that, yeah, obviously not everything that is kids content is good for adults. Like obviously I'm not going to read, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey to a kid because it is violent uh, and there is sex in it, but it's not this overtly repulsive kind of sex in there. It's not this overtly repulsive kind of violence. Um, so that's good for adults, but not necessarily good for kids. But I do think there is a certain level in which if this is so objectionable that we are not going to let young adults and, and young kids see this, or so objectionable that we're not going to let a wide swath of people see this, then we should just get rid of it for everybody. I definitely see what you're saying. And in a more, you know, like a utopian world and maybe able to agree with you in terms of like, of, you know, establishing, you know, the negative things in terms of things for humans um as things that we probably shouldn't allow them to have but as you said i don't even think it's just a state thing i think it's a human thing that it just will never work because at the end of the day you know if you have a good leader a good couple of leaders because the american political system allows a lot enough checks and balances to make sure that one person can't take over the country um right so if we have a good couple of leaders for like i don't know two terms then what happens in the than term after that if they use mm -hmm. the same precedent that exactly. they did and they use it negatively what is what's going to happen we, then? Could get, so, we could get into a whole discussion about executive orders and all that is is lunacy but because it's supposed to be it's uh, the way that our system is supposed to be is the the decrees of the president uh, are to some extent lasting that's why there are such checks and balances and why like the executive orders is, is such a like crazy bat-haired idea um, that the executive is now a legislative branch as well. It's, it's crazy. But I, I, I totally agree with you. In a, in a more perfect world, you know, would that it would be, I think uh, our government could operate much better and more justly than it does now. Yeah. Uh, so with that said, I mean, I agree with the, the sentiment that adults, for the most part, should be allowed to absorb whatever content they, they feel in terms of the liberty aspect. And in terms of we're not diving into like our own, probably not good for you, probably not in terms of like the liberty aspect here and the the, the objective aspect here is really there's really no good argument to kind of ban these type of content for, for adults that you can really make at this point. Um, with that said, 
what about high schoolers? So let's go 17 years old to what, like 14, 14 years old is like high schoolers. So do you believe that there's any content for high schoolers that should be banned? Uh, yeah, I think uh, we should certainly ensure that they do not get their hands on porn. I think uh, there's lots of studies, lots of science coming out that is showing it's very bad for brain development. Um, I don't want to quote too much statistics and studies because I don't have them on hand. Um, so I don't want to, I don't think I, you need to necessarily take that tact because it's just, it's not very edifying for people. And it, it creates, my parents are marriage counselors um, and they've talked about this issue with me and my brother at length. It, it creates a lot of false expectations uh, when they view that that ruins and totally destroys and implodes marriages on a wide level. Um, and obviously we can kind of see that play out in the general statistics of marriages. Marriages are going down in a, in a rate and divorces are going up in a rate that is very similar along the curve of the wide availability of porn. Um, so I think, I definitely think that porn should not be allowed for that particular age group because there's a lot of development that happens there that is very interesting so when it comes to high schoolers it's really i i definitely see what you're saying in terms of overall i i don't think there's a legit argument where anybody i don't think any rational person would say yeah porn is probably good for kids they probably would say i mean inherently right inherently porn is not allowed for high schoolers Right. I mean, when you go to certain porn sites, we know it says, are you 18 and up? So we, we know that inherently you're not these teenagers in high school. I believe are there's not codified law to... for that, right? Say that again. I'm pretty sure there's codified law, which is why they have to give that uh, disclosure, I guess. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, you want to make sure you're trying to. They don't do a good job to stop them, but they want they don't want to be held liable for for any sure. potential situation. Uh, sure. So with that said, if if you want to make the argument that high schoolers, in terms of you know social media, when they establish a social media account or go on the internet, I think Utah is actually trying to do a porn ban as of right now. And that would that and, would check out with Utah. Yeah, Utah is doing a lot of interesting things. Uh, and then in terms of books, you want to like, all right, you're a high schooler, you want to get some books, um, but you won't be able to get like porno magazines, right? Obviously. So with that said, how do you enforce it really? And what punishment can you give this high schooler? I think a lot of the responsibility obviously would be put on the parents in terms of, yes. you know, something that's a much more ground individualistic the parents will probably establish a certain type of quota or rule that yeah i don't want you you know watching porn i do think to a certain extent once they start going through puberty and everything and start experiencing sex there's going to be a lot of parents and i, I won't know until i'm a parent myself if i have a 16 year old who starts learning about their body and all that and they start masturbating i don't know if it's smart to just say oh yeah stop that you're, you know you're that's bad I think, you know, you would have to have the birds and the bees talk. You would have to kind of help them understand. So in that situation, how do you enforce it to the point where these teens can't do it? And in the situation, once they learn about sex and learn about all that stuff, 
should we be educating them in these spaces if porn is banned? Should we go into details about sex and stuff if we're trying to so, ban porn? I think um, there's already some precedent for, especially when you're talking about like the birds and the bees talk. Um, when classes, there's many schools that have the policy when the birds and the bees talk is being done in schools, they, parents can request their kids be taken out. And the school has to obey that and remove the kids from that class at that time. Um, when it comes to like checking books out of the library, there's a very easy way to ensure that they're checking things out. Everything that they check out, you send to their parents. So like, you know, I had to get a library card. I was, I had still have, I'm one of the strange people that still actually has a library card <laughs> on my keychain. All right. Um, and all I right. go and I use it. I, um, and when I got that library card, my mom had to be there with me and she can access my account and look at every book that I've loaned. Uh, and especially if it's a school library, I think any book that you're that a student checks out, a report of that can easily be sent to the parents. Say this is the books that they've been checking out, so their parents can know because it's their it's the parents' responsibility. When it comes to things like getting hands on porn and, and punishments involved, you know, I think um, it. I don't know if it's appropriate for the the state to go around and and punish a child without the parent unless it's a criminal thing. So I don't know that this should necessarily be like a criminal offense. Um, Stop right there. Yes, this is a little mini ad. Don't skip. Don't skip. All I want to tell you right now is that at the end of the day, when it comes down to all the discussions I want to have, I want to be able to communicate with you, the audience. I want to be able to relay a message and receive a message from everyone and try to come up with these great solutions that I keep on talking about. So if you want to be part of the community, make sure you go to the website and sign up for not only the email list so you can get weekly emails from me for the podcast episode, informational sessions, all that great stuff, but also sign up to go on my Discord so you can be part of the discussions, debates on my live streams. So be sure to go to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com and go to the email list, sign up, and go to the Discord and join the server. Now back to the episode. I I don't see how that would be just to, to punish the child for something that, like you said, that's very instinctual, especially at that age. It's instinctual to look that thing out, um, to desire those sorts of things. So I don't know if... That's why I'm curious about like Utah's situation. Is like, okay, you plan to ban... Plan to ban porn, okay. You find a 15 year old or 16 year old who have porn on their phone. What are you gonna do then? Like, and is, are you gonna find the parents for it if if a if a child does that? Are you well, gonna you know put a charge on the the 15 year old? Like, what do you plan to do? You know, one of the things. So I I guess I can give. Uh, right now, I'm in school. I am in school for criminal justice, and what I'm going into is law. Um, we talk in, at length about laws and how law works and the social contract. And in my policing classes of which I've, I've taken numerous, we talk at length about like the ethics of law. Right. And when you have a law, the law gets ratified by the people and the police officers, when you swear in, you swear to uphold the constitution, the highest law of the land and the local and state constitutions and their laws. And so if the law gets passed, 
then that is, in essence, society. And if so, this would be a state law, obviously. That is the state of Utah and its society has agreed that this is wrong and therefore punishment should be requisite for that. So if they do pass this law or, or this ban on porn, then police officers do have the obligation and the right to enforce that law. And so if that is what that state decides, that's kind of the point of federalism is one state can decide we want this and another state can decide we don't want this. Then if you decide to stay in Utah at that point, then you are in essence giving yourself over to that agreed law of the land. And I think if you're found in Utah with a porn magazine, if it has been banned, then yeah, I think you should be held liable by their laws. And if that's the law they choose to have, then I think whatever they decide the punishment can be or should be, I think they have every right to enforce that. But what would the punishment be, though? That that's that's a difficult thing to decide. So, like right now, I work uh, in uh, our municipal court here in my city, and a lot of times the judge has a lot of discretion. I would assume it would be something similar to like a marijuana-like charge. So uh, low-class, maybe middle to low-class misdemeanor. Sometimes it can be higher depending on the state. Um, but with those types of things, there's lots of discretion, right? So it'd probably be a fine. So like with in my state, um, low-class misdemeanors or I think the highest misdemeanor charge is 1000 to like $2,000 is like the maximum that somebody can get for a, a misdemeanor of the first degree, which is the highest level misdemeanor. Um, so it'd probably be a fine of, of some kind. And juvenile justice is a whole different thing, though. Um, yeah, I that's agree. a whole nother beast that <laughs> we can untangle that if you want to. But I'd assume, you know, if it is a younger person, then their parents will be bear a lot of that responsibility i would assume especially in a state like utah that's a pretty mormon christian state uh i'm, I'm assuming the parents would hold a lot of responsibility for that. yeah that's a, that's what i assumed right so with that said i do agree that states should have a certain level of autonomy but in terms of putting my personal ideals in the forefront here i don't agree with someone being found with a porno mag or someone being found on Pornhub at the even at the age of 15 or 16 being able being fined or their parents being fined I don't I don't think that's a legitimate way to kind of you know uh enforce that situation especially like you said teens start getting very experimental start learning all about these things you're not going to be able to keep them unless you're like super religious and you know completely navigate their entire life which i don't agree with i don't think that's a good way to parent um unless you do something like that then more than likely at some place whether it's school you know school is probably the most obvious place they're going to learn about this or their friends wouldn't they go to a friend's house or after a sports or game like or the lot they're going to learn about this stuff so if porn is banned but 16-year-olds start having sex, what is the difference? What's the difference between a six? Are you going to criminalize a 16-year-old having sex like you're criminalizing them watching porn? And I'm not even – I want to establish this. I don't think 
it's necessarily good for like teens to be having a lot of sex or what seeing a lot of porn um i don't think it's necessarily good for in terms of generality's sake um my position in terms of how you would kind of navigate this personally is instead of some type of kind of like you know potential misdemeanor charge or the parents getting a fine or anything like that i think some things that you said could be worth looking into like for example with okay they and this is we're specifically focusing on content and and it's the content moderation aspect okay if they want to check out a book at a library until they're adult the parents at the very least can have the ability to to know what books they're checking out to mm -hmm. know what is going on in that situation yeah okay in terms of social media i've had a uh you know, discussion with someone on my last episode in terms of, all right, there may be laws where parents will have full access to their child's social media account. And he was making, you know, interesting arguments. Um, but one of the things that I told him is like, I don't necessarily know the difference between them having access to their social me media account virtually or physically. If they found out they're doing something, they're going to take their phone away. There's really no difference. So might as well you know, allow them to have this access if they want to create a, if a teenager that's in high school wants to create a social media account. So by giving parents access to the content that they're accessing, that will kind of allow them to be more involved once they start learning about something like porn, for example. Uh, so I think that's probably the route I would go because I think anything more gets in territory that is i think too much in terms of state's influence sure i can i can see that as a a pretty solid rule of thumb i guess a good i would say it's a good place to start obviously i'm a little bit more on one side of this issue than you are and that's totally fine uh, but i would certainly say that that is a, a reasonable position to take all it's, right yeah so with that said High schooler is a very interesting person because that's when they start establishing their own individuality, kind of finding out who they are, obviously. Very important progress in determining like their rest of their life, right? Now, where it gets in, in interesting territory is when we're talking about middle schoolers and, and children that's like below. So basically 13 and younger. I think we'll just put them all in under one umbrella. 13 and younger. How do you see the content moderation in terms of social media the internet and books i think very strict very very strict uh, i think social media should pretty much be off limits for that age group um there should be uh, a very strong effort to make sure that they don't get social media um we know um and i can pull up studies on this and how damaging i mean we know it intuitively that like social media is obviously designed be addictive just like a lot of these video games the color schemes the noise sounds um the way that it like automatically swipes for you essentially at this point so it keeps you on those tiktok videos keeps you on those those videos we know that instagram and all these things are designed to be highly addictive and grown grown men grown adults find themselves addicted to this so just imagine the malleable uh, attention seeking affirmation seeking brain of middle schoolers um i absolutely think it should be off the limits for for young people to especially these 13 and younger to to get social media all the festoons of 
um, debauchery that can be found on there obviously should be out off the table for them. And um, as far as like porn and stuff, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm kind of in a similar vein, and I think, you know, I should have brought this up when we were talking about the high schooler aspect, because I do think there's more than, you could probably argue more things in terms of content that they probably could uh, be navigated, or be kind of, like, not controlled, but uh, informed, or educated, or uh, put in a environment that's a lot more inducive to, like, understanding what's going on, or potentially taken away altogether i think i've heard arguments in referencing like you know self-harm because so it doesn't really step the ter territory of like torture or absolute mutilation but like you know learning more uh getting uh, access to content that's talking about you know suicide for example and all these very deep and depressing overly violent probably content now finding the line between overly violent because some people say you know and you may have an argument on a oh, Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty, but I do think there probably is a line that is interesting to follow. So at the very least, it, the standard that I said earlier with having the parents being very much involved into the content that they're absorbing <laughs> kind of applies to a lot of these situations. Um, but back to the back to the kid situation, I think I think I agree in terms of social media. I don't think they should have a social media account there's really no reason for it um i mean if they need to contact anybody they can go through their parents um i think there is a, i'm sure there's an argument that at a certain age you may want to give your kid a phone to um contact certain people when they're out because they're going to be mm -hmm. out and about doing certain things um but there, you can have certain controls to make sure they're not going into well. anything terrible um but with that said Social media, I think it's pretty obvious on both of our kind of mindsets right now. Um, it's just such a such a big open world that they probably don't need to experience that yet. But books are a different story. They obviously will read books. They obviously will get access to books. Mm -hmm. So what type of books do we want them to have access to? So here's something where I will say, like, obviously, like, things with graphic pictures in them should be should be kept away from them but this is one of the beauty i think of books and and maybe i'm wrong so this is this is my opinion but i think with these these age groups the kind of stuff that is like written in books and and, and especially the good books we should very much encourage them reading books of of all kinds as long as they're not like these overtly erotic books but a lot of the stuff like so i started when i was 13 I started reading books that were probably way ahead of my capacities. And the parts that I don't comprehend, I just didn't comprehend because it wasn't written for me. And so I would read these action adventure books. And when there was a scene that probably wasn't the best at that age, I didn't really understand it. But what it did is it kindled the love for reading and words and adventures and mystery and, and beautiful language and these sorts of things. And so when it comes to books for this age group, I say, like, try to get them to read anything that they're willing to read. Obviously, there can still be some objectionable content in the form of these very erotic novels, Fifty Shades of Grey, that sort of thing. But and inherently, kids aren't going to be drawn to that book anyways. It'll bore them. That kind of book will be very uninteresting to them. But when you read these, like, very classic adventure books, you know, Michael Crichton novels, uh, you know the the Sherlock Holmes books, which is obviously for a, an older category, but 
nothing really reprehensible in there. Some things that maybe you could argue they couldn't read, you know, that's all about murder and mystery and stuff. But the the sense of like murder and violence, I think, will be very lost on kids of that age. And they'll just see the cool adventure and the cool mystery solving. So I think when it comes to books, you know, try to get them to read as much as they can, as much as they're willing to. So the the value of books, I definitely think, is um, losing its its meaning to a certain extent with this uh, society. And, you know, I can't speak on a high pedestal because I didn't really read books back in the day. Um, so with that said, I, I do think there is a value of reading. Um, I'll probably read things that are interesting to me. So you made a great point sure. in the fact that you don't want to show them things that are interesting. And there are things that is inducive to, you know, a younger audience probably reading for good reasons, because whether or not it has, you know, cool action, colors, pictures, uh, it makes, you know, the, it makes it exciting for the younger audience, even older audiences, but we're focusing on younger audience right now. So with that said, what is your opinion about their access to comic books and manga? Because I I definitely read manga, and I do think there's obviously there's sections of manga. It's obvious. Like I don't want I don't know if you know what this is, but I don't want a kid reading something that is Berserk, for example, because Berserk is as graphic as it can be, bro. It's not something a kid, arguably, it's not something a teenager probably shouldn't read. Um, so there's definitely those lines, but things that are much more uh, arguable. For example, like uh, Naruto, which is a popular anime that a lot of kids love back in the day, or Dragon Ball Z. But a lot of those things have lots of violence, and it can be very erotic in terms of the drawings of the characters. Uh, same with comic books, for example. So what, what is your opinion about that? So I, I, I don't really know. I don't read much manga or comic book. I'm a... I love Batman. I love I love DC Comics, um, but I don't read much comics these days, so I don't know what's in them per se. I I've noticed a general thing because I'll go through and look flip through the comic book section and flip through DC Comics, but I've noticed there's certainly a, a sway if you go back from like the 40s and 50s comics to current ones, much more suggestive and and character curvature. Let's say, oh yeah, for sure, um, yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. I think old comic books are great, um, and so I've also I can totally have my mind changed on this. I don't like anime personally because I don't care for the the drawing style. I don't I don't care for that kind of like uh, animation. Um, but I have heard that there are some fantastic stories um, in those animes. Um, I'm not familiar with many of them. I, I have heard of obviously manga and I know there's like more risque styles and types of it as you go along. I've not heard of, of Berserk before, um, but I can guess on the name that it's probably not good for kids. Um, oh yeah. It definitely does not hold back on how brutal it is, but it uh, it's probably one of the more well-written stories you'll see. It's really, really about how bad it, it can be when it comes to being a human. Um, mm. But I will say this, there are some anime that's very risque and annoying, and I, I have called the anime community degenerates because of it, um, but I do think there are a lot of anime that is focused on storytelling, 
there's only one anime that I have a manga for, and that's called Attack on Titan for good reason because I think that's I, one of I the best heard stories. Good things about that. Hey man, this the the story, the narrative telling. I'm I'm big into storytelling. I'm a big storyteller guy, so I like cool. writing. And in terms of storytelling, in terms of writing styles and writing a cohesive narrative, so I think certain series can definitely get help? there. I actually do. I actually have been writing a light novel personally, and um, I don't know if I would say it's not bad. Like in terms of like, it's not explicit for kids or anything. But I also don't hold back and like you know mm-hmm. the, the the material that I'm talking about in terms sure. of you know swearing sure. or I am also gotcha. a writer. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, that's basically you yeah, done or were you? No, that's basically it. it's good. Yeah, I I'm also a writer. I, if I could reach it, I would have. I have a type copy of a book that I have coming out soon. Um, it's a collection of short stories. So I would. I usually like introduce myself as a writer because that's what I see. You can't see it, but it's just off camera. But I have a typewriter in front of me that I oh, still write everything on because I'm okay. I'm like a I'm like a huge, old fashioned kind of person. If you couldn't tell, um, but I love writing. I've written a novel that. I also wouldn't classify as a kid's novel because there's there's nothing sexual in it because I'm but there is violence in it that probably is, you know, I think one of my things is I think you can do if you're a good enough writer, you can write these sorts of things in a way that is still readable for kids. Uh, If you have a grasp of good language, like like. um you know, there's some pretty overt stuff in like the Iliad and the Odyssey and those classics, but they don't shy away from violence, like in the Canterbury sure. Tales and and Crime and Punishment. I mean, they don't shy away from violence. But like I was saying earlier, if you're a kid, you don't kind of grasp it. Like uh, like in uh, you know Hamlet or uh, I have here King Lear. Like there's no shying away from violence. But if you're a kid, you don't really you don't really pick up on that as much. Um, so yeah. 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 It's cool to see that you're right. I'm a huge focus on storyline a lot as well. I get kind of bored when it comes to just action and people getting thrown through buildings nonstop. Like it's fun for a little bit for sure. But, you know, I prefer like good narrative story plots. So that's why I've heard good things about anime. I've also heard, you know, like you said, that there can be some degeneracy there as well. 100%. Uh, 100%. A lot of degeneracy. All right. So with that said, you know, I, I think we established a lot of very uh, definitive lines in terms of like the at the very least the different demographic age groups that should and shouldn't have content or shouldn't have should and shouldn't have access to certain content and how we would approach either from both our perspectives on kind of navigating uh, their access to said content. Uh, with that said, the kind of taking a real look on states powers and their and what they have the ability to do in terms of state legislation um when it comes down to it to things that are more ideologically driven when it comes down to i'll i'll talk about both sides whether it's you know a state like california super libby state who wants to, you know, like, yeah, I don't want kids to read this, you know, religious book. Maybe it's the Bible. Maybe it's the Quran. It doesn't matter. I don't want them to read these religious texts that kind of say things because they may be kind of anti, you know, LGBTQ, for example. Or it's a state like Texas 
who goes to their libraries like, oh, I don't want them to read this LGBTQ book. It's not inherently shows anything weird. Like I know there's some books that show like actual like sex scenes in a children's books that doesn't make sense to me. But there are some LGBTQ books that is just telling the narrative, but it also kind of spreading awareness. And it's not inherently explicit by any means. So but because it's spreading that agenda, I don't want that there. So in these two scenarios, these states are choosing which books and which ideologies they want to put in front of people, which content social media wise they want to put in front of people. So what do you think about the legitimacy these states have in doing so? And do also kind of a secondary question, does mm -hmm. that infringe on the First Amendment rights of the people that is in these states as well? So there, there's a fine line, I think, between that. But we had, um, so First Amendment rights, you know, gives us, particularly it's the right to criticize the government, the right of uh, religion, the right of freedom of religion, not necessarily the right to say whatever you want to say. We had very strict speech laws, like obviously George Carlin, right, very famously arrested for doing the seven words you can't say on TV because there was very strict speech laws, Right. Uh, so I have interesting statistics here that I found for an article that I wrote um, that talks about, you know, since especially particularly when George Carlin did that, um, the F word specifically in the mother effer uh, in books in popular culture is 678 times more likely to appear, particularly in novels. In, and that's in 2010. So from when George Carlin did that to 2010, just imagine 2023 now, uh, 678 times more likely to appear uh, because after he did that kind of comedy set and like the speech was kind of slowly, they didn't get off the books. They just kind of stopped being enforced. But we had very strict speech laws for for a long time. And so I don't think like the right to say mf -er is not enshrined in the Constitution anywhere. So I think if a state decides that they want to ban this, that's why we're a federalist nation, uh, or at least we were. Um, they should have the right to do that. So if California wants to ban the Bible, I don't think, or the Quran, or you know, the Book of Mormon, or, or whatever it is, I don't think that's the most prudent thing in the world to do. But this is America, and they do have that right. I don't necessarily think they should. I think it's better to be based off of this underlying narrative that the Bible offers, or whatever it might be. I think it's better to live that kind of life. But if they want to ban that, certainly their right to do so, you know, freedom of religion, that might, they might have issues with that when it comes to banning overtly religious books, they might have some issues constitutionally with that. When it comes to banning forms of porn or these sorts of things, certain like speech and certain age books, like the, the MF -er or these other things, you know, I think there's more leniency. I don't think that would enshrine. I don't think that would encroach upon their First Amendment rights if a state like Texas, if a state like Arizona wanted to ban those sorts of things. I think they should have the right. And if you don't agree with that policy, that's why you there's this mobility between states. And still, you're still an American citizen, but certain states want certain rules and regulations, and that's why we're a federalist nation. So you brought up some interesting things, and I wish I had time to kind of dive into the inherent 
state rights. I've definitely looked into it before, but I should have refreshed myself a little bit more in terms of the inherent state's um, abilities. Um, you know, they are elicited, especially especially in the Bill of Rights to an extent, but I do think there's probably more things to kind of go into to really kind of fine-tune this exact point. Um, because I'm really not sure if states have the ability... At the very least, I'll come at it from my perspective. Um, what do you think about the aspect of the state government specifically controlling the information that people are seeing? Do you think that is... Uh, manipulative or do you think that state is should have that certain level of kind of autonomy over its people um are you so are you talking small s state or big s state state is in federal or state is in state government local? Local. okay so state governments i think it is manipulative but like i said kind of at the beginning you know if it's coming from what is objectively good i think then it is objectively good and so you can you know, censor certain information that's simply not edifying for people. Is that manipulative? I guess. Yeah, I would say it, it can be. But if it's a good thing to do, then it's still a good thing to do. Right. And when it comes to state rights, like I believe Pennsylvania had a state religion up until the 1980s. Like there is no ban in the Constitution for individual states that have a state religion. So the Constitution, the First Amendment, keeps the federal, keeps it from, uh, like, the United States of America from being a, like, have a declared religion. But states have, actually do have the right to declare a state religion in their prospective states. And so if that state religion, you know, like, uh, the Catholics are kind of notorious for banning and censoring certain information, and we can have a discussion about that if that's morally right. Um, but I think in the sense of liberty, I think our liberty and like our desire for freedom isn't always inherently virtuous. It can lead us, our desire for liberty and freedom and lack of restraints can sometimes lead us away from what is virtuous to do. And if a state is attempting to help us be virtuous by censor censoring certain information, then I would say it is better to have a lack of that information than to pursue that like lack of shackles and 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 like like that just total freedom. I don't think total freedom is necessarily a virtue. Okay, so I want I'm gonna ask one one more question. I'm gonna kind of pitch in. So, what do you think about the idea that? Obviously, when it comes to the state, there's a two prongs to look at it, the the state officials and the ideology mm. they're pushing and the people sure. and the identity they want to propose on the state that they're living in. Right. So in terms of that and the the argument in terms of, you know, certain influential factors, especially like the Internet or social media, um, what do you say about, you know, these, you know. The if people of said state choose a specific um kind of ideology that they kind of wouldn't admit moving forward and voted mm -hmm. certain ways to push said ideology and then ban other ideologies and now we only want to think this way for this state do you think that is something that should be you know allowed or good or what what is your opinion on that I think 
I think it should be allowed if they want to do that, right? I mean, we kind of see that already in, in California. I'm like, they pretty much, that's pretty much unanimous. Like, I would say, like, it's kind of a religion. Like, California has a state religion in a way because they vote in those people. And if they want those people in, who are we as another state, as the federal, to say, no, you are not any longer allowed to be a representative democracy? Like, if they want those representatives, they want those representatives. I think there is a delineation between what is good and what is bad. And if they're voting in what is bad, you know, we have that free will. We are a representative democracy. People can represent who they want because if they truly do, the problem is, is if these people are getting voted in and they actually don't represent the state. If they're finding ways to fudge numbers, as infamously LBJ did in his election in state, uh, in the state of Texas, fudge the numbers, stuff the ballot boxes, um, if those sorts of things happen to a wide extent and people really are not being represented, represented, that's not a good thing. And we should try to prevent that. But if it is, honestly, they really want those people voted in, they really do feel represented that way, then they have that right. As I've said a couple of times now, I think there is a difference between what is good and what is bad. And we can know that difference and we should strive to be good. And so we should strive to vote people in who are not ideologically captured, but are earnestly seeking and desiring to find truth. And we should get those people in. And with that, with the truth, will come a certain ideology of its own. But really, truth is the perfect form of ideology. Ideology is something you essentially subscribe to because you believe this will kind of help you take you on your journey of discovery. But what it is, is to mimic, it's a, a mimesis or mimicry of what truth is, which is something that actually helps you become a better person. But ideology is a kind of quick way, a quick way to get that um, same feeling as pursuing actually the truth. And so we should vote people in who are not ideologically captured, but captured by the truth, or one could say in love with the truth and desiring to be the truth, to be a philosopher, which is what philosopher means, love of truth, which is what Socrates is. And that's what they killed Socrates for, actual love of the truth. I, I definitely agree in terms of that aspect. But as of right now, we both know that all these politicians are ideo ideologically captured. We all know Certainly. this. Uh, or at the very least, most of them. I don't want to put a huge umbrella. I don't like doing that. So with that said, so from what I'm looking at, so my personal feelings regarding this is that I believe that it's important in terms of individuals to gather a certain level of perspective and knowledge and understanding about all these different viewpoints to really find the truth that you're referencing, right? Mm -hmm. I think once you start controlling the ideologies that they're kind of garnering, I don't think you'll be able to find said truth. You'll be kind of shaped in a specific way of thinking, which I don't think is conducive to anything productive in terms of, you know, that understanding or finding truth aspect that we're referencing. Um, so when I'm, when I'm seeing states like, Cal well, I don't know if California's actually banning Bibles, but I know Texas is definitely trying to ban certain LGBTQ books. And I do think there are some books that is way too explicit and shouldn't be shown to kids, but I don't think all of them are. So I don't know if they're trying to kind of establish a huge umbrella to all LGBTQ books. They're all gone or only these type of LGBTQ books. They're gone. But I feel like from what I've seen, Texas is going to try to just ban them all. 
that any that has that type of moniker of that ideology is all gone. And the problem with that is, for me, is that one, the aspect in terms of the ideology itself, the aspect that there will be, there will be people who either are a part of the community or have a association to uh, aspect of the community. So they may be gay, they may be trans, they may be lesbian, but not necessarily part of the woke lefties. So they may just at the very least want to be informed. And I feel like some books probably could help them with the being more informed about who they are, because sometimes, you know, whether it's mentally, whether it's uh, born out of child abuse, or maybe that's just how they are, you know, you won't stop these people from existing. So I think, you know, that type of information, that type of understanding, that type of truth that they can find will be able, they will be able to find from either social media content or the books. Um, or yeah, the information that, you know, is in front of them. And if they're banned from that, I think that's potentially problematic um, in terms of this individualistic uh, scenario. But taking mm-hmm. a step back, my bigger issue is when does it stop? When once they start establishing a precedent where I want to pick and choose the ideologies that the people of my state can observe and learn, when does it stop? And that's one of the biggest things for me when establishing laws and when establishing certain type of quotas for how people should be is the precedent it will set potentially moving forward. And I'm, I won't say obvious. I won't say it's like a hundred percent factual that, okay, the moment Texas does this, they're going to turn everybody into just redneck Republican conservatives slowly and steadily. I'm not saying that will ultimately happen, but I'm just saying, it could happen at the end of yeah. the day. Um, well, so that is one of my, that's another big issue I have with these type of yeah. things. I totally, totally agree with that sentiment. And, and in large part, we see this all the time. You know, we see this, you know, I am, I'm obviously a conservative. I am not necessarily a big Donald Trump fan. And one of the reasons I'm not is if you look back 10 years, he was a Democrat. You know, he's always been a Democrat until he decided to run for president. And when he ran for president, all of a sudden there's this big change. And who's to say if he really had a quote unquote come to Jesus moment and really did change his beliefs or if in large part he's just playing that part because he is not necessarily ideologically captured, but ideologically pandering. And I think this is one of the problems that we have with our two party system. You know, almost exclusively all of our founding fathers warned about the two party system. George Washington infamously warned us about in his um, presidential address when he was retiring from president, warning us and was devastated when we became a two-party system very shortly after the signing of our Constitution. And he was very, you know, he was very disturbed by that. And the Federalists, it warns us about the two-party system. And and many of the letters, it warns us because it, it motivates politicians to especially in like I mean right now we're having this discussion in primary season which is infamously infamously over the top so each candidate is running way farther over the line on what they actually truly believe because they're trying to over democrat or over republican each other that way they can get that nomination and then they usually mellow out to a certain extent 
to appeal to the larger masses. So we're having this discussion now, which is something we have to keep in mind when we're talking about this particular subject, but still in large part in general, um, it the two-party system that we have motivates people to be more ideological. And it motivates people who aren't don't necessarily actually believe what they say they believe, but are really just playing the part of it when and they have the motivation to do that, right? Because they know if they stop, if once they get elected and they stop behaving that way, they're obviously not going to be reelected because they're no longer representing. But the issue comes, especially as as conservative and as Republican, we see this particularly myself when we have people voting in the Senate, voting in uh, the House, people who nominally run as Republicans, but really squish when it comes down to it, when there's a really important vote. They don't actually side with what they say and they vote Democrat or they vote or they, they abstain from voting at that particular time, which is upsetting for people who voted them in so that they could be represented. And that's when we see this conflict. That's when we see a lot of this hypocrisy, a lot of the scandal that comes when people who are running as Republicans are running as Democrats, but really aren't. And they're just running on the concept of ideologically pandering. Yeah, I definitely think that's a that's a problem as of right now in terms of, um, you know, elections and, you know, candidates, um, which is very unfortunate. Uh, I, I, I definitely this will go into uh, a future episode if I if we can get um, the other co-host on where we kind of talk about kind of the cause of the political social divide and how it kind of turned this way. And eventually I want to have uh, an episode kind of discussing a uh, very interesting two interesting points that you mentioned was in referencing what the actual state powers and federal powers are and then another yeah. thing is the two-party system i've had an episode before i had someone come on and he kind of uh pitched his idea for the three-party four-party three-party multi-party system um and i didn't necessarily disagree because i'm also really not a big fan of the two-party system i see you know obviously we need a party system where it's not just one party. I mean, uh, obviously, right? But I'm seeing like I don't see why we don't have at least a third party. We technically do, but that third party has no influence, no power, no say yeah. in politics. Uh, yeah, so well, technically, I mean, we don't have it enshrined anywhere that there's only two parties, right? Uh, at the the outset of the nation, there was several parties. Um, yeah, the Republican Party was created by Abraham Lincoln, the GOP. He was the first actually Republican, um, but we it's just got they got so big, you know, backed by a lot of massive donors and everything like that. And uh, we have other parties. They just haven't. And I think I'm not I'm not sure I don't pay attention to the third parties as much as I probably should. As I understand, they're getting bigger and they're definitely holding more sway. Uh, do you? Do you know if that's true or not, or am I just making something up? Well, I think one thing that is helping a lot of these parties, obviously a lot of people are kind of getting fed up for both sides, so that helps, obviously. Um, but also the social media, and yeah, that is a big help. I'm sure Joe Rogan has done wonders for third-party people. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure. Um, so we'll have a future episode in, in, regarding that uh, for sure. Um, so I guess the final thing I want to say in referencing – uh, the situation between the content, you know, ban. I think at the end of the day, most people probably would agree that, you know, uh, other than the exceptions that we laid out that are, you know, objectively bad, um, that 
information and knowledge should be appreciated learning different perspectives trying to understand different perspectives i'm a big into that um and you know i wish our current public education system which much more inducive to ideas and trying to understand these different perspectives you know that's another episode my 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 disdain for the current public education system and why I think it's super inefficient. Um, but with that said, I think these ideas can be very conducive to a lot of pro uh, productive solutions and discussions and conversations. You know, we ne mm -hmm. don't necessarily fall under the same ideological umbrella. And I'm going to have another person also doesn't fall in the same umbrella as both of us. And we're having a productive conversation we're having a discussion and we're talking about, you know, potential, you know, solutions for the people in the country. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the fact that people don't agree is where the best conversations can be found at, in terms of the overall. So that's why I'm always in favor of more ideas, more perspectives and limiting that I don't think will be productive for humanity as a whole. Yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, you made a great delineation. You know, I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what can be considered morally reprehensible or morally not okay. And we should ban those sorts of things. But you brought up a great point, which is information should not be banned. You know, when it comes to like actual academic literature, knowledge, things that are not in any way like having to do with the moral sense of living, but just pure information. Like, you know, in, in China, you can't look up Tiananmen Square. Nothing will come up. And that's purely political banning, purely political um, censoring. Um, that should never be allowed. You should never, like, you know, I don't know if you know who Alexander Solzhenitsyn is, um, but he is, he was a Soviet, and he wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago, which exposed the gulag archipelago the all the gulags in russia and they tried to kill him for that and they tried to censor it and they ran campaigns they even got they even recruited his wife to make up stories about him so that he was perceived as uh, a fraud and he obviously wasn't and that sort of thing we can't get into that and what's really concerning is when we see things censored information censored that puts us on the same level as that sort of thing that should never be. We talked about it. We both, it was one thing we did absolutely agree on is the pursuit of truth should be our, our primary objective. And when things get in the way of that is when problems really start to arise. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting conversations to be had, especially with humanity continuously progressing. Um, and it will just be a lot of truths can be, a lot of new ideas can help humanity because it's entering territory that's unprecedented with, you know, for example, AI, artificial intelligence, you know, the conversation behind the legitimacy behind AI and whether it'll help or destroy humanity hmm. is a important conversation. The conversation of um, elongated, in no, extended, I'm going to say extended youth with now they're doing studies about how they can potentially, you know, repair skin cells. And uh, so... There, the the evolution, virtual reality is another one. Um, the evolution of humanity and we have a long conversation of, about VR. 
Yeah, there's there's see these are all important conversations because we got to be prepared to deal with what's coming next. But for some reason, everybody wants to just you know focus on you know stupid stuff. Honestly, stupid stuff. So hope you, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I think this was a great conversation. Be in tune for more great conversations moving forward. Uh, obviously, you can check out his podcast that is called. The Classic Life. The Classic Life. Make sure to check out his podcast and uh, check out all the things that he talks about, of course. And be tuned for the next episodes every Monday. We'll eventually start getting Thursdays on as well. And a lot of great conversations to come. Rated five stars per usual if you enjoy the conversation and if you got something out of it. And make sure to sign up for the email list so you never miss uh, you know, the next bit of information that is coming out for the podcast. Any last words? No, I really appreciate you having me on. I hope this uh, works out and I can see you again. I hope everybody appreciates uh, what you do, truly having this rational and reasonable perspective. Uh, it is rare these days. So I really appreciate you having me on, and I hope all of your listeners appreciate what you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So with that said, hope everybody has a great day. Y'all have a good one. Take care and peace. I am glad you are here, and I'm glad you are listening to today's podcast episode. My mission in each and every one of these episodes is to really focus on the solutions to some of the biggest questions and most controversial topics going on in our current society. I feel like most of these conversations are not truly being discussed in a more logical and respectful manner due to the political toxicity that goes on with both the left and the right, both the Democrats and the Republicans. In this podcast, I don't care about any of that. I am focused on the solutions. I'm focused on bridging gaps. If you want to join me on this journey, if you want to discuss some of the most important topics, if you are tired of the political toxicity and negativity from both sides, please support this channel, share the podcast, and go to my website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. I appreciate the support. I'll continue to make content and hopefully we can start bridging these gaps and focusing on real issues going on in our world.